Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. I'm Chris Danielson. My best friend and bride, Emily, is out today, and it is Long Form Wednesday. And today I've got a guest speaker coming in. In fact, uh, we used to call it when they'd come in and sit live with us during our devotion segment, our devotion in motion segment. We'd call him the guest devotionator. And our guest devotionator who's going to bring the word today is my very good friend, Jay Johnson. He is one of my pastor friends who gives me a lot of wise counsel, and he's going to take us to the Gospel of John today. I hope you're blessed by this message as Emily and I were. Thank you for listening to the Bible Idiots Podcast. Jay Johnson with our long-form teaching. So good to be with you this morning, singing about Christ, our hope, our blessed hope. Looking forward to that, the return of the blessed hope, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have been spending several weeks now preaching about the glory of God. And today I want to begin focusing on the glory of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I can think of no better place to go than the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And that's why we read that at the outset of our worship time this morning. I have read that there were many, too many, former church members that end up in cults because they never understood who Jesus is. These cults come knocking on your door. They want to talk to you. They'll say they believe in Jesus, but the question is, what do you believe about him? Mormons believe that Jesus was the created spirit brother of Satan. The Jehovah's Witnesses will say, well, Jesus was not the son of God. He was just a son of God. See, these cults, they don't believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. Amen. Amen. The Christ the son of the living God. And you must believe this in order to be saved. That's why a message like this one today is of utmost importance. So I want to take you to the gospel of John today. and We'll see what John has to say about Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've noticed when you read through the gospels, but the gospel of John is different than the other three. It's very unique. The other three, they call them the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all tell the story of Jesus, but John's message is simply this. The eternal God himself has become human. The creator has become part of creation, fully God and fully man. Why? So that he might save sinners from the penalty of sin, amen? And the penalty of sin is spiritual death, judgment, and ultimately eternal hell. What's interesting is that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give you Jesus' earthly history. They look at his birth and his life and his experiences, his travels here on the earth. They look at the calling of Jesus on his followers and his teachings and his parables and the events of his life, including the arrest and the trial and his execution and his resurrection. But John is unique. John is unique because he doesn't focus on the historical view of Jesus. He gives us the heavenly story, the supernatural view of Christ. 
There's nothing in John's gospel about Jesus' birth, about his early life, about his baptism, nothing about his temptations, nothing about the transfiguration, nothing about his agony in the garden, nothing about his ascension. There aren't even any parables in the gospel of John. No earthly stories. I don't know if you ever noticed that before. But his gospel is a heavenly look at the Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to any book of the Bible, as you've seen this before, he said, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of the book. That's the reason John wrote his gospel. And John demonstrates in every chapter that Jesus is God in human flesh. Only when you understand who Jesus is and you understand his person and his work is there any possibility for you to be saved. Otherwise, you may end up in a cult. You must believe the truth about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that this morning? Jesus, who is the word of God, took on humanity. The infinite became finite. The eternal one entered into time. The invisible one became visible. The creator became the creature. John calls him the word. Three times, just in verse 1 alone, he calls him the word. The Greek word for word is logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. Why does John call Jesus the word? You ever think about that? Well, you got to consider when this was written. And by using logos, it was a perfect term to identify Jesus with the supernatural side. See, there was a philosophical understanding of the Greek word logos. The philosophers talked about logos as the reality that was visible in creation. They believed in a logos spirit, some non-personal power source. They believed in some abstract uh, principle of order and structure, some non-personal energy that was floating around in the universe because they knew, even the Greeks knew, that creation couldn't exist without a source for it. But they thought it was some kind of impersonal force out there ruling the universe. So John comes along and says, let me show you that the Logos is not an impersonal force. It's a person. The Logos is not an impersonal reality, but a personal God who came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? The Jews didn't need an explanation because they understood the phrase, the word of the Lord. It appeared so many times in the Old Testament. And they knew that the word of the Lord meant the revelation of God to man. The Old Testament is the written word of God and the revelation of God. But the New Testament is the account of the incarnate word in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 summarized it this way. The author said, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So the word of the Lord is the expression of God to humans. 
There is no greater manifestation of God than that of Jesus Christ. He is the best revelation of God that we have. God most fully spoke through his son, Jesus. And so in order to demonstrate that Jesus was fully God in human flesh, John takes us through three very important truths. And we're going to look at those as we go through the first five verses of the Gospel of John. The first thing John focuses on is that the Word pre-existed with God. The Word pre-existed with God. The opening verses says, in the beginning was the Word. And we could just stop right there. In the beginning was the Word. But he goes on to say, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then he emphasizes again, he was in the beginning with God. In the beginning of what? What's he talking about? In the beginning of what? In the beginning of creation, the beginning of time. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Amen? At that beginning, the Word, the Logos, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, already existed when God created everything else that exists. That means the Son of God is eternal. He is eternal. He existed as God before creation in full glory and splendor and honor and majesty, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. The Son of God is an eternal being. He didn't just come into existence at Christmas time, as a lot of people think. Remember when uh, Moses approached the burning bush and he spoke to God and he asked God what was his name? What did God say? I am that I am. You go tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. Not I was or I will be, but I am. God is an eternal being. And that's why Jesus borrowed that title so many times to describe his own eternality in the Gospel of John. John Jesus used this repeatedly all through John's Gospel. John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. John 10.7, he said, I am the door of the sheep. John 10.11, he said, I am the good shepherd. John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. And you know John 14.6, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. And John 15.1, he said, I am the true vine. Remember in John chapter 8, where Jesus is arguing with the religious leaders, and he finally gets fed up with them, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. John 8, 58. And they got mad at him. They wanted to stone him to death because they said he's blaspheming. He's claiming to be God. Jesus only spoke of himself in the present tense because there never was a time when he didn't exist. Amen? I've heard people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I'll never forget, I was upstairs teaching a Sunday school class one Sunday, and somebody in that class said that. Jesus never claimed to be God. And I thought, how ignorant can you be? That is just the epitome of stupidity. Jesus never claimed to be God. You never read your Bible, did you? Over and over again, Jesus claimed to be God. 
That's the reason they crucified him. You read about it for yourself in Matthew chapter 26 or one of the other gospels. When Jesus was arrested, they said, tell us, are you the Christ, the son of God? And what did Jesus say? You've said so. You said it. He said, but I tell you this from now on, you're going to see the, the son of God sitting at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of heaven. And what did the high priest do? He tore his robe and he screamed, blasphemy. He's spoken blasphemy. Do we need any more witnesses? So what is your verdict? And they all said, he deserves to die. Don't tell me Jesus never claimed to be God. That's the very reason they crucified him. If you ever spoke those words, you don't know your Bible. Go back and read it. Jesus is the great eternal I am. So Jesus, the word, pre-existed with God. The next thing I want you to see from this passage is the word coexisted with God. Go back to those same verses, one and two. In the beginning was the word, but now let's focus on, and the word was with God. The word was with God and the word was God. He always existed. The word was with God and the word was God. How's that possible? How can you be God and be with God. You ever thought about that? The only way to understand that, the word was God and yet was a distinct person, is that God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? It's a supernatural mystery. We can't wrap our brains around it. If you think about it too much, you're going to bust a brain cell. God is one, but he exists in three persons. You know, there's some denominations that don't believe that. Yeah, there's some that will say, oh, the Holy Spirit, he's not God. He's just a force. May the force be with you. And modalists like T.D. Jakes, they don't believe in a trinity. You know what he'll say? Well, God is one, so he, he had to appear in different forms at different times. Sometimes he appeared as the Father. Sometimes he appeared as the Son. Sometimes he appeared as the Holy Spirit. That's heresy. What did they do with the baptism of Jesus? Look at it, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Look at what it says when Jesus was baptized. So here's Jesus in the water with John, the Baptist. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And then on top of that, behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Three persons in one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Are you still with me? Can I get an amen to that this morning? That's truth I'm giving you. So we've looked at his pre-existence. John starts with the fact that when you're talking about Jesus, when you're talking about the word, you're talking about a pre-existent eternal God. So now we see his coexistence. The word was God. God was the word. Another example of the deity and coexistence of the Son of God was when he prayed in John 17. Remember John 17, his high priestly prayer? Jesus prayed for his glory to be restored, the glory he had before the world began when he was there on equal level with God the Father. Look at just a part of it, John 17, 5. 
Jesus said, I glorified you here on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Wow. Jesus is full deity. The Word was God. The Word is God. I believe this is the clearest, most direct declaration of the deity of Christ in the Gospels. God was the Word. The Word was God. And so he is preexistent. He dwelled outside of time and space before creation. And he is coexistent. He existed in full glory with the Trinity in eternity past. But when he came to earth, then he took on flesh and blood, just like you and me. He added flesh and blood to his deity. That's why Paul said in Colossians 2.9, in him, talking about Jesus, he said, in him, all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. All the fullness of deity dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. And for 33 years, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus in a body. Fully God, yet fully man. Not half God and half man. All God and all man. Amen? And that's John's message all through the gospel. Fully God, yet fully man. And any assault on his deity is a heresy. And any assault on his humanity is a heresy. So now let's look at how the word self-existed with God. The word self-existed with God. Obviously, if you're not a created being, you have to be self-existent. Amen? Mm -hmm. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. If you're not created, you have to be self-existent. Amen? amen? So how do we know that he was self-existent? Well, the Son of God was the active agent in creation. Look at verses 3 and 4. All things were made through him. He's still talking about the Word. And the Word is Christ. Amen? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this tells me that God made everything through the Word. Here's the proof of his self-existence. Everything that exists came into being through him. Everything that exists, he made. There's not one thing that the Son of God didn't make. He was the active agent in creation. That's important because the cults talk about Jesus being a created being. Jesus was not a created being. I'm not talking about the Jesus of the cults. I'm not talking about the Jesus of liberation theology. This is the Jesus who was all God and all man. Amen? By whom everything exists. And by his power, he sustains all of creation. And yet while he is God, he was with God. He is God and yet he is distinct from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Since God the Son is the creator of everything that exists, that means that he had to live outside of creation. Amen? He existed before time, and that makes him eternal. Look at verse 4. It says, in him was life. In him was life. He didn't get his life from somebody else. Nobody gave him life. In him was life. In other words, he is the source of life. He is the source of life. I like the way Paul 
put it in Colossians 1.16, talking about Jesus. He said, by him, all things were created. Amen? Everything in heaven. I mean, he, he delineates everything in heaven, on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Amen? In him was life. John 14, 6. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. In him was life. You can't look at Jesus any other way. He is the fundamental reality of all that exists. In him was life. In him we live and move and have our very being. Amen, somebody. Hebrews 1.3 said, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Not only is He the giver of life, but He's the sustainer of life. Without Him sustaining the universe by the word of His power, the world would literally fall apart. John said, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He said, the life was the light of men. The one who was the life became the light of men. He came to shine his light into the darkness. He came to reveal the glory of God to a dark and evil world. Jesus is our eternal life source, amen? The eternal divine life manifested in the world like light shining in the darkness. The one who is life has come into the world and he is the light of the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot overpower it. Darkness can't overcome light. Light always overcomes darkness. You know that for yourself. If you're in a dark room or a dark location, all you got to do is light one match or a lighter or a candle and you got light. Light always overcomes darkness, Amen. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, you are to let your light shine. Because now you're the light of the world. You're to let your light shine so that others will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Light always overcomes the darkness. And it doesn't matter. You might have just a little light or you might have a big light. Light can always overcome darkness. Amen? Don't forget that when you're out in the world tomorrow. So what is the darkness he's referring to here? Well, ultimately, it's the devil. He's the prince of darkness. Scripture says he's the spirit at work in the sons of disobedience. He's the one that, that blinds the minds of unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Ephesians said he rules the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil that are evident in our world today. This is the dominion of darkness. We used to be a part of that, but God has rescued us, delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Amen. And the demons of darkness can never overpower the light. You go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Ever since God promised a redeemer, Satan has done everything in his power to extinguish the light. The light that comes through Jesus. But Satan and all the demons of darkness and all the forces of hell and all the current human evil can never extinguish the light. Can somebody say amen to that? The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? amen? And amen. 
In conclusion, the opening passage of the Gospel of John is such a powerful statement of the glorious person of Jesus Christ and his impact on the world. All the splendor and the majesty and the glory that Jesus shared with the Father and the Holy Spirit before the world began is the glory that he now experiences once again. His light is still shining in the world, and it's available today to anybody who will listen. The darkness can never extinguish the message of Jesus Christ, but you have to believe it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? The word of Christ. Jesus said himself in John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you're going to die in your sins. You don't want to die in your sins and go to hell. But you will die in your sins and go to hell unless you believe that Jesus is the one described here in these opening verses of the Gospel of John and proven throughout the rest of this Gospel. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that Jesus was God in human flesh? That's the foundation of our saving faith. If you don't believe that, you're going to die in your sins and you will bear the full punishment of your sins for all of eternity. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and you will be forgiven of your sins today. In John 1.12, Jesus said, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came to his own people and his own people rejected him. His own people didn't believe him. His own people didn't receive him, but he said to anybody who would receive him, that means you turn from your sin, you give him control, then the Holy Spirit will regenerate you. You become a new creation, and you learn to obey his written word. You believe in his name. You believe he is who he claims to be. And as you grow in your faith, you'll come to cherish Jesus more than anything more than any material thing or more than any relationship you have here on the earth. If you want to have that eternal life, you must believe in the true Christ, not the false Christ of the cults, not a misrepresentation of Christ, not the Christ of human intuition, not the Christ of human philosophy, but the true Christ. Remember, that's the whole purpose of the Gospel of John. These things have I written unto you who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. Your word says that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We realize that all of us are saved by grace through faith. It's not because of any righteous deed which we have done, but according to your mercy you saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving us that much. We don't even deserve your love, but you give it because you're a gracious God. You're a good God. You're a merciful God. And so, Father, I just want to thank you for sending your Son into the world to be our Savior. Thank you for this written word that explains that the word of God 
the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who became Jesus when he took on flesh, always existed. He was in the beginning. He was there with God, and he was God. And all things are created through him. Help us to understand that, Lord. Help us to be able to grasp the significance of this so that we're never led astray. Because there are many voices out there in the world today who want to give us an element of the truth, but then the rest of it is a lie. And they're taking too many people down. Father, I realize that there may be somebody here today or maybe somebody's watching online and they've never made that commitment to turn from their sins and turn to Jesus. They're still trying to be the boss of their own life. They won't give up control. But Lord, may today be the day of salvation. Don't let them harden their heart. Don't let Satan snatch the seed of the word out of their heart. Lord, may they be willing to give up, surrender to you, and ask Jesus to save them. And then receive the free gift of God, eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for those of us who already know you, Lord, may you find us faithful. May we be faithful witnesses. This world is on a a collision course, and things are changing every day. And we see people dying and going to hell. You said the road to destruction is wide and many are on that road. That's why we've got to be faithful witnesses, Lord. Help us not to grow slack. Help us to stay alert. Help us, Lord, to have the boldness to share Christ whenever we have the opportunity. And we pray all of these things In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Hey, it's Chris Danielson again. Thank you for listening to my friend Jay Johnson with his message entitled Divine Word. I hope you were blessed as much as Emily and I were blessed when we first heard this message. Hey, don't forget you can go to BibleIdiots.com and support the outreach right now. We'd really love for you to stand with us or communicate with us with the email in the upper left-hand corner. Friday's coming and we're looking for some mailbag questions, so we'd love to hear from you. Again, on behalf of my best friend and bride, Emily, my name is Chris. Chris, you get into the word of God today and go and serve your king.